Hello and welcome to Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Charles. I'm really feeling quite good about this episode because I did it in good time. Normally the international day of this or that or the other tends to creep up on me without warning, so I can't really celebrate. But this year I really got my stuff together. About a month ago I noticed that this year the World Day of Pasta is on a Monday. And a Monday that is Eat This Podcast Day. So obviously I needed to do an episode about pasta. And who, right now, is the best person to talk to about pasta? Well, that would be Rachel Roddy. Her new book, An A to Z of Pasta, Stories, Shapes, Sources, Recipes, is getting all sorts of praise. Now, you may also know her from her mouth-watering column, A Kitchen in Rome, in The Guardian. And if you've been listening for a very long time, you may even remember that I spoke to Rachel about her first book, Five Quarters, just over six years ago. Well, luckily for me, Rachel is almost a neighbor, so just last week we met up for a chat at an open space near her flat. Her son Luca came too because school was closed, and he was a lot better behaved than the bunch of dogs on patrol. So, yeah, why did she want to write a book about pasta? I didn't want to write about a book about pasta, although it was always on my mind, in a way, because that was the constant, really, writing about Italian food. I've been writing now for 12 years, and six of that professionally, I suppose. So, you know what it was? There was always a sense that I would maybe one day write about pasta, but it was meeting the publisher, Juliette Annan, at Penguin, who had really enjoyed Five Quarters, my first book. And we talked about possible projects, and pasta kept coming up. And it was a, at one moment I had this... It was 50 stories about 50 shapes. And it was quite interesting because there are, what, three, six hundred shapes of pasta. Oretta Zanini Di Vita says there are 1,300 regional dialect dialect names for, for pasta. So that's a very, very big jigsaw of pieces. But the idea was that I would make a small one. And actually, once I had that idea and then started picking the pieces, you know, there were corner pieces, spaghetti, rigatoni, gnocchi, lasagna, it was actually quite easy to pick the pieces in order to make a picture of pasta. And the picture, the A to Z is a really interesting way of organising it because it basically says, look, I don't know how to organise this, I'm just going to do it alphabetically. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yes, it was a great relief because along with, so the 50 shapes and the alphabet always brought me back to to a point of writing when I was dealing with what felt like this enormous universe of shapes and culture and food and everything really, the history of Italy. I'm going to avoid asking questions like, where did pasta come from? Who invented pasta? (laughs) Because that way lies madness. So let me just say, 50 shapes, 26 letters, two of them got shortchanged. So which two got shortchanged? Well, twen- no, in fact, perfect. No, 21, because it's the Italian alphabet. <laughs> and some of them don't even have shapes. So it was not an entire alphabet. It was a... God, I can't remember what letters don't have names, don't have shapes. And then, of course, some letters have lots and lots of shapes. I think C, maybe, was the letter with most shapes. Casareccia, cannelloni, capelli d'angelo, 
just trying to remember conchilia and you know, I'm tr- these coming back so some some letters have a lot of um, a lot of shapes and others have none a few people asked me did you how was it hard to choose the shapes and actually it wasn't it was very easy to shoot, choose the shapes they sort of chose themselves because they were the bits that could tell the story historically or geographically that could map out Italy that could tell sort of cultural things and once the shapes had chosen themselves did the did the recipes choose themselves the sources to go with them the way you, you the way you cook them yeah absolutely i had quite a strong sense of those from the beginning i'm very very aware that this is not this is not a comprehensive book this is this is 120 recipes but again i had quite a strong sense of what i wanted to go in there i knew that i wanted groups of that i, I wanted for the family of menestra all those nice bean and pasta soups that that i um that I love so much and there were certain classical dishes that would go in there. Once I started looking at the recipe plan, it, it, it was, again, it, was, it sort of all fitted together. Are any of the recipes what you might call new or innovative? Not really, actually. I mean, do you mean in terms of my innovation? Or mm, Yes, or recent, recent kinds of recipes that have just made it into the Italian canon. No, and maybe that's something which I could have have done more in a way. I mentioned actually in the chapter, it's um, R for Ruote, the wheels. And that was a lovely little story because that was all about the innovation in pasta and how in the evolution of pasta shapes, obviously the extruded shapes made to those wonderful bronze dyes in the 19th century dyes became more sophisticated and, and people could make more sophisticated shapes. You know, obviously the pasta industry mirrored a changing world uh, and there were, you know, radiators and flying saucers and car parts. It was really wonderful. And um, and there I, I looked to the future because, of course, now the, 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 the big developments are in 3D printing for pasta shapes. So now in the last 10 years, we can make pasta shapes that we've never been able to make before with 3D machines. So it's a constantly evolving universe, the pasta one. I mean, it's not, it's not frozen in a museum, is it? In fact, that was, you know, something I became very aware of. So how do you feel then about, you know, the kind of the carbonara police swooping in and saying, that's not carbonara? I feel a responsibility to be... Uh, faithful to traditions as they are lived now which of course traditions are always evolving but while not being or getting myself too trapped in any dogma and again I Massimo Montanari was fundamental I couldn't have written the book without him he has some wonderful chapters on the evolving nature of recipes the idea that recipes are not fixed and that there being a perfect recipe or a certain way is completely preposterous and totally against the 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 sort of spirit of of domestic cooking which is actually anarchic isn't it and resourceful and at the same time he respects the idea that that recipes can be formalized and can be written down and somewhere in between that comes home cooking and I hope I was able to hold on to those two things in the book it was a big struggle because I am I'm not Italian and I am writing about somebody else's culture so I felt a a responsibility to touch those things thoughtfully Uh, I don't particularly want to get into big debates about how things should be done. But the great thing about the book was every time I I 
found something uh, someone said this this is the way you should do it or this has to be done like this or generally the exact opposite was also true (laughs) so so I just I just sat myself in the middle like you know observing that lovely that, that those lovely two poles which I think can exist together it's not as if there is one true way I mean even the stories of oh well you can only serve this pasta with that sauce or you know yeah absolutely absolutely and and uh well, it's that great, a great, the great Oretta Zanini di Vita has a lovely um, line in her fantastic pasta encyclopedia. Of course, that's why I didn't need to write an encyclopedia because Oretta's already done it. And she says something about, you know, matching shapes and sauces. Any shape goes with any sauce. But, <laughs> and here's a few guidelines. And again, again, with that, you, you know, once you start looking into regional recipes, because of course there's so much regionality in Italian food and things are always changing. And you do find that if someone says this has to go with this and then someone else will say, oh no, but this goes with this. So actually I, I, I um, did get in a bit of a panic about that, but, but tried to, to enjoy all, all, of the, all of the sort of ideas and thoughts. And people hold recipes very dearly. But again, Montanari, his book about spaghetti, which I hope everybody buys, is wonderful because he really touches on this, the sort of myth of origins, the, 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 where, where this sort of fierce pride and ideas around food comes in, why they become so important. I understand why recipes are so important to people because they're, they're, they're often people, aren't they? And yeah. family and memories. And if that's how your mum made it, then that's the way it should be. And, and that's beautiful. But the thing about sauce, I mean, you can generalise. I mean, if a sauce is very lumpy, if it have bits in it, big bits in it, then a short pasta is probably going to work better. Exactly. Again, that, that going back to Oretta, she has about seven or eight guidelines, which I have borrowed and made my own. <laughs> And also reminds that a lot of these dishes where a shape is with a sauce, it isn't that they were matched together, they just evolved together. So it's always been like that. For example? Well, I suppose in the South, if, you know, if, if pasta was a, often a feast day dish for many people, it, you know, it was, it was not an everyday food for a lot of people. So if we're looking, for example, in sort of basilicata, those lovely recipes for macaroni al ferro, so macaroni being the generic sort of name for a lot of pasta shapes still, historically and still, quite baffling, but lovely. Macaroni, maybe let's say with a lamb ragu, um, so tr- local meat, a local shape, with a local cheese, which will probably be a sheep's cheese. Um, the fat would be probably be olive oil, because that's what people use. You know, though that, that feast day dish, I mean, there was meat and cheese and oil, that's like a special occasion dish. Then it, it you know that that was a dish that was created for a, and then becomes a, a becomes an iconic dish in that area and then so we, people of course associate that ragu with that with that shape and it, and it, that's the way it is yeah so yeah. i i i i loved I, I loved finding about this and i say i i feel like i touch the surface yeah uh, one of, one of the important things that you you say it often in your column you say it in all sorts of places is this idea of uh, you don't plonk the sauce on the pasta, um, you shake it about in the pan, you stir it about to kind of bring them all together. How did you kind of learn about that? I I I've always seen it, I suppose. I suppose I really learned about that, which according to some chefs is quite a modern a, a modern invention, isn't it? The sort of the, the bringing together the mantecatura, I think, is the, the sort of official name, where you essentially what you're doing is you are mixing the sauce and the pasta in the pan and the pasta cooking water clinging to the surface of the pasta and maybe some extra water, which, of course, is 
full of starch and then becomes an emulsifying factor. So if you, I remember I used to see chefs in the kitchen, particularly around, excuse me, spaghetti alla vongole, you know, you've got spaghetti and you've got clams and you've got oil and you've got the pasta and they'd be shaking this pan in what I thought was a very chefy way, which is probably quite chefy. But you know, what they're doing is they're jolting everything together and that starch which is a, a fundamental ingredient then basically sort of emulsifies with the oil and brings everything into in some cases quite a almost thick opaque sauce in other ways just bringing the ingredients together and it's very vigorous but if 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 there's one thing i've learned that improves a pasta that's it yeah absolutely like that i think there's a lovely um for me again with Pasta and broccoli, you know, you, 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 you cook broccoli, whether you boil it and then do it in oil and garlic or whether you do it in oil and garlic completely and it becomes this soft, mushy <laughs> green sauce and then you put the pasta in with water clinging to it and then really jolt the pan. In that, it, it reminds me of a sort of tidal wave. Um, I've got a great big pan, the best investment, I think, and you, you know, jolt it and it swishes up and over. And it, yes, it all comes into this lovely, creamy, yeah. very complete, satisfying dish. Where do you stand on dried versus fresh? Is is either better than the other? No, well, I mean, they're actually the same thing. Oh, I mean, all pasta is fresh when it's born, isn't it? It's flour and water. I mean, drying pasta is an art. And, of course, the dried pasta is made with grano d'oro, the hard semolina wheat and water. Whereas fresh pasta, which can be made with semolina, is generally made with soft flour and eggs. Um, of course, though, again... You know, these are categories that are incredibly blurred. But, you know, dried pasta is is this hard wheat and water substance that has been dried until it can be preserved forever. I love dried pasta and good quality dried pasta is another thing altogether. And also you don't need to pay, you know, that much more. I mean, what's a very good bag of dried pasta? Three, Three euros? Four pounds. I mean, it's a wonderful, glorious thing. And actually, I did really understand the art of drying. It is an art. I mean, big commercial pastas will be will be dried. They'll be extruded and then dried in six, seven hours, possibly. You know, small, smaller producers, artisan producers. I'm not talking about fancy pants artists. I'm just talking about good, good small scale producers, of which is the world is full, not just Italy. You know, we'll, we'll take anything from two to five days to dry these to dry these shapes because it it really is not. I mean, actually, you know, it, it's an absolute art, and uh, which is why it's quite hard to dry pasta at home. Actually, you know, too quickly and it cracks, too slowly and the mold sets in. You know, it's 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 an art to make these. What I feel are just domestic sculptures. I, I know I know this is kind of a, a weird question, but are there any pasta shapes you really don't like? Did you ever meet a pasta you didn't like? <laughs> I don't know. I, not really, no. But is that because I feel a responsibility to all of them and I feel I have to say, no, I'm not. I I don't dislike any pasta shapes, in, it, really. I, I maybe don't particularly like some brands of pasta or, or maybe some sauces, but no, not really. I, I, but I, again, I don't think I'm the right person to ask because I enjoyed, it was such a joyful book to work on like farfalle for example the little butterflies you know this pinch ones with people which don't are quite hard to cook evenly that was going to be my next question <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The, no no i mean that, that's the one shape i have real trouble with yeah. the bow tie the butterfly yeah no absolutely i think that i ha- 
sort of made myself love everything. And also they are an interesting shape because, of course, they are a fresh and a dried shape. You know, they are very popular in, in the north, in Emilia-Romagna, the land of, you know, soft flour and egg pasta. And then in Liguria as well, you know, they have different names up there. And then, of course, you have the dried version, which can be tiny or much bigger. And it was in, in sort of teaching myself to love all the shapes, I found some wonderful recipes for Fafale, particularly a Calabrian soup with green beans and tomatoes, a brothy soup with cheese and chilli, and then the butterflies just work perfectly in it. They probably have long enough in that to be soft all the way through, whereas when I I cook them, which I usually do for summer salads and things, Mm -hmm. they're always too chewy, the bit that's pinched up in the middle. It's true. But, you know, did you see my Agony Uncle? I made Vincenzo an Agony Uncle, a pasta Agony Uncle, the little hardcore... I, I discovered that, right, you know, pasta um, problem letters were almost identical to sex problem letters. I would have liked to have done a whole book of pasta problems, but fortunately Penguin wouldn't let me do that. Yeah, I quite like that little, that little hardcore in the middle. I quite like the difference. Um, you get, you know, the sort of floppy edges in the hardcore. But again, that does depend on brands, and I do love slightly bigger Farfalle. I like bigger forms of all the shapes. I like big penne. I like big fusilli. I like big farfalle. What does that say about me? I like those big, generous shapes. <laughs> I think it's all sounding very rude, but anyway. <laughs> so, but but what, what is Vincenzo's solution to the hard little inner core? Well, just accept it. Acceptance, Jeremy. Accepting. <laughs> maybe maybe I've got a question for the agony aunt or agony uncle. Um, a 500 gram bag of pasta makes two good meals for two mm-hmm. and then I've got a kind of scrawny bit left over and I never cook pasta for one I mean it just never seems worth it to me so I kind of bit the bullet a couple of years ago and I actually mixed two kinds of pasta in one pot allowing for the different cooking times of both of them um, are the pasta police going to come after me no, the pasta police will love you. I mean, the pasta mister. It's a it's near. A it's a to. It's a real thing, and it's it's all over, I suppose. But particularly in Naples, the, where it was traditionally, I suppose, pasta was sold in 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 by weight loose, wasn't it? And apparently, the story goes that there would be drawers filled with different shapes. Let's say there were tubes, and there were there were quills, and there were you know little ruffled edges, and that then the end bits would be mixed together in one drawer and sold as a mixture, the sort of Neapolitan equivalent of Woolworth's broken biscuits. And then this mixed pasta would be used particularly for those thick soups, pasta with potatoes. So I have a pasta mista chapter, which is all about the the mixed pasta. So I have a jar and I put all the end bits in. And of course, the, the, the beauty is also the slight difference. Like I quite like that the the bit of you know broken quill or the little ruffled edge is a little bit harder than the than the um, than the tube or and that the little ear is a bit sort of harder than the length of spaghetti and and obviously in those in monestras those the, the mix shapes you cook till they're softer anyway so yeah i think bring it on mixed pasta is is the way <laughs> resourcefulness and <laughs> and resourceful and delicious i feel, i feel very relieved <laughs> what would be the one thing that you think Oh, go away, dogs. Mm-hmm. Please go away, dogs. Mm-hmm. What would be the one thing questions. that people should take away from the book? That cooking pasta is uh, sort of daily art, and that sounds so wanky, but, it, it, you know, it's such a, 
a joyful, useful, democratic food that, you know, um, a little world for a, a universe of shapes that can be cooked in countless, countless ways and often very improvisational. You know, as a recipe writer, I always disappoint myself by um, giving people these very fixed recipes. And actually, when sometimes a, a bit of good advice is all you need in order to make yourself something very good to eat. So I hope that people take away a, uh, a playful attitude to these different shapes and the many ways that you can cook them and the endless possibilities. So for International Pasta Day, are you going to wait for inspiration or do you know what you're going to make yet? God, what am I going to make? You know, I've got, I've got, I, I ate some delicious ravioli uh, about a year ago, or ma- no more, two years, my tent of time is bent, with um, aubergine and smoked cheese. And, and I think I'm going to make that. That does sound good. I haven't decided yet what I'll be making, if anything. My thanks to Rachel Roddy for writing the book and for talking to me about it and about pasta. I'll put details in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com, along with links to a couple of the other pasta books she mentioned, Massimo Montanari's History and Aretta Zanini De Vita's Encyclopedia. And, as I said at the outset, Rachel's son Luca came along too, because his school was closed for a couple of days. It seemed like a good idea to find out his favourite pasta. What do you what do you mean by favourite pasta? You mean the shape? I mean, if you had a choice of any pasta to eat for lunch or, or, or supper tonight, what would you choose? Well, I was going to ask Mum for gnocchi, but now it's a bit too late because for gnocchi you need to... You need to actually make them, then let them set, then cook them. Because if you make them, then you let them set for like a second and then you put them right in. They come out soft. Do you cook pasta yourself or does your mum do it all? Once I cooked pasta because Vincenzo told me once. I cooked the most simple pasta, a capelli d'angelo. It was very easy. I just did them. Uh, I, my favourite sugo. I don't. I have kind of like, I I I don't want to be too pushy, but I have like a favourite salsa. Uh, I like it smooth, but not too smooth. Salsa di pomodoro. I mix it, but I did how Vincenzo does it. Vincenzo is his dad, Rachel's partner, and the pasta agony uncle. And I never did find out exactly how he does it. But Luca also had something to add to what his mum had said earlier. We at home, we don't always do pasta mister, because Vincenzo usually says that we can't do pasta mister always because the... Because pasta mista is, in the name, different sorts of pastas, but they have uh, different cooking times. That's so if we make them in the same That's way. what I think, you see. I always, if I've got two pastas, uh, even if they're the same shape, like one spaghetti takes 11 minutes and another one takes 9 minutes, then I'll put one in and I'll wait two minutes before I put the next one in. Does that sound sensible to you? Yes, very, very sensible, yes. Further validation, and I need all I can get. 
My thanks to Luca and his mum Rachel for helping me to celebrate World Pasta Day, and I hope you will be doing the same. Till the next time, from me, Jeremy Churfus, and Eat This Podcast, goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>